This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. So um, if you could both introduce yourselves, that would be fabulous. Hello, um, Danny Newcomb, um, Senior Lecturer at Oxford Brookes University, um, doing a PhD in all things practice design, um, learning, transfer, um, and helping coaches with that. And then the day, the day job, the main job is a hockey coach. Um, so coach the Welsh international team and uh, domestic cycle running. That's me. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. And Will? Hey, Marianne. Um, yeah, Will Roberts. I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Gloucestershire and um, interested in constraints-based approaches in particular to coaching and physical literacy and just generally trying to understand how coaching and teaching can impact on learners' journeys. Fabulous. Um, thank you both very much for joining me today. And um, as you know, this, the discussion that we're going to have today is going to be around um, skill acquisition and skill development and hopefully to bring the subject to life a little bit more for the coaches who um, maybe have heard about it but have not got um, a sort of deeper understanding. So a really good place to start actually would be just for each of you to sort of um, describe what skill acquisition or and I put slash skill development because there's a lot of change in that terminology at the moment. What what does it mean to you? What is it? And and does that language matter? Should we call it skill development? And it's a bit of a big question. Yeah, I'll go first. What a what a rabbit hole to head down. Um, I'd use I'd use the phrase skill development rather than skill acquisition. It, it sits it sort of sits better with my understanding and how I view it. So um, for me, acquisition would would lead you would lead me to think that you, you acquire something and then you have it. Um, whereas kind of my view of skill development is one of um, adaptability and continued um, development of a player's ability to interact with the environment. And because that environment is never the same, I'd suggest that you there needs to be some form of adaptability within that skill. So, yeah, that, that's why I'd use the word skill development. Um, I don't know what Will thinks. Um, throw it across to him. Thanks, mate. Yeah. I th- look, I think um, it, you know, one of your questions in there was, does the, the language matter? And uh, I guess to sum it really, it really does, you know, just in terms of trying to understand what's going on and, and how we might affect that. So I, I think... The words maybe are, are not always the thing that we should focus on, but what the words might mean to us and, and how we kind of approach our understanding of those words is really important. So Danny mentioned something around, um, you know, what it means to him or his view of the world. And I, I think depending on what your view of the world is, the language would be really important. And, and I kind of, I would ascribe to a similar idea, you know, ac- acquisition suggests that I might... Um, complete it you know there's a I'm going to complete the level and I'm done and I'm 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 skillful now and the notion of um sort of having something that's functional that allows me to interact with the performance environment is is more comfortable for me so you know we're we're constantly striving to adapt and, and develop our skills so that we can deal with a with a range of different environments whether that's you know certainly my focus is more around children's development and, and what that might look like. Danny, I know, you know, looks at high performance environments, but fundamentally the notion that we are developing or adapting um, constantly is something that I'm a bit more comfortable with. Yeah, developing your ability to adapt would be an interesting way to frame it in my, in my head. Although it starts to create some other questions around well, what's changed in someone that now they've become more skillful and now they can now they're better at adapting um you know, how, how does that happen and what's what's going on i mean you can it's easier to see someone who's become more skillful and they interact with the environment um, more efficiently creative they're innovative in it they they you know, sort of make make decisions that are effective and solve the problem in front of them so you can kind of see when someone is becoming more skillful, 
there's a lot of theories and frameworks and models that try and describe and help us understand the process that someone goes through in order to get to that point. Um, so I, I guess that's the rabbit hole that people end up end up going down. Um, and it's, I guess it's, it's useful to hang your hat on something that makes sense for you around how that happens, because that then might start to inform your practice around what you set up for your learners to develop their skill. Um, that, that's probably how I see it in my, in my head. It's, it's really hard to explain and, and, and sort of, I've been exploring this stuff not for too many years and a lot shorter than others. Um, and still sort of just feel like you're dipping your toe in it. The more you sort of read, the more you realize you don't understand. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you both. If I, if I just sort of um, try and summarize then some of what you said, both of you were happy or, or happier with the idea that it's about development, that it's something that is ongoing. Um, I would imagine, especially with children, because they're growing and developing as well, aren't they, as, they, as they're becoming skillful. So yesterday's skillful solution might not work in three weeks' time. Um, but also the idea that if we have some understanding of what it means to us, Danny, you talked about a couple of things that you would perhaps observe in behavior of somebody who was being skillful in, you know, in, in having um, effective solutions, um, multiple solutions for a problem that's in front of them that, that may, may be unique to that moment in time in that performance would be the type of things that you've talked about would, um, would indicate skillful performance. Um, so I think that leads really nicely to the next bit that I want to um, engage in. Well, first of all, sort of, you know, obviously we're probably all three of us are going to be a little biased here, but do you think it really matters that a coach takes some time to understand a little bit more about what skill, you know, some of the theory or and some of the ideas and concepts behind skill development? Um, yeah, so uh, you're right. We probably are a little bit biased around uh, around that. I think that um, it is really important that uh, as coaches, as as teachers, we're kind of trying to be as informed as, as we possibly can be. And, and you know, I'm yet, I'm yet to meet a practitioner, um, a coach, a teacher that would say to me, "No, no, I, I don't want to learn. I'm not. I'm not interested." So. I think all the coaches and teachers out there want to learn those things, and I think it's really important. What we what we need to try and do, I think, um, collectively, is understand the language, understand the concept, try and put that into the hands of people that you know really make a difference. So whether that's policymakers or or it's the coaches and and, and teachers them, themselves, and to be constantly in that dialogue. And I, I would kind of draw or I would urge us to, to draw back to a point that, that Danny made early on. And that is, you know, what does this mean to me in my context? What, what makes sense to me? What am I trying to, to uh, achieve with my approach to skill development? And what does that do to the way I design my practices, but I, how I set the, the culture up around my environment, how I interact with, with parents when I'm talking to them about um, why it is that I'm, I'm approaching things in the way I'm uh, approaching them, you know. So you might get that that typical kind of really invested and interested parent that says, oh, well, I, you know, I know my young son or my young daughter is really good at, at this position, so why aren't you playing them there? Well, I can now enter into a really decent conversation with them about, well, look, my view on skill development is this, so I think I'd really like to expose them to a range of opportunities and practices and so that means maybe sometimes putting them in a different position and and here's where I'm getting my information from and this is what I'm trying to do and I, I think that the, the development of really skillful you know I'm talking about development of children maybe you know it's it's again it's different in a performance environment but the development of um, young people is a collaborative thing that shouldn't be about someone being right versus someone else being wrong. It should be about well-informed uh, sector, which includes um, clubs, uh, academies, schools, uh, the, the research world, you know, and bodies like yourselves, UK Coaching, Sport England, Youth Sport Trust, whoever it might be, it's got to be about collaborating to better understand. So, you know, the, the simple answer to your question, yes, we, we should be trying to understand this. Um, but we shouldn't be 
leaving coaches and teachers or uh, or researchers on their own to try and understand. I think we need to collaborate to see what works in practice and and push the field forward. The why is probably more more important to me than anything. So, you for me, coaching or teaching this endeavour that's so complex and context drives it, and we have to make tons of decisions around what type of practice I use and how do I design it and do I give them feedback now, during, after, like what type of feedback do I give? So, well, I, and we have to remember that no coach or t- all coaches and teachers are entering into that endeavor with good intent. We're trying to, we're putting on something that we think is going to help them and make them better. What we have to help coaches understand or teachers understand is there's a ton of trade-offs you have to make when you're deciding what type of practice to use. There is no perfect practice. There is no magic bullet. There is no best practice in the world because there's so much context behind the decision about which practice I use or not. What we need to help coaches is understand the strengths and limitations of all the different types of practice and then make more informed decisions about what they use, where, when, and why. And I think that's, that's the key bit. We never should we judge what they're using it for because yes, it might be limited for this, but the reason I'm using it is because of X, Y, and Z. Cool. Let's get into that conversation. Um, and, and help us understand the why. But that, for me, is why we need to, why coaches and teachers might want to start exploring some of these ideas to help them make better decisions. One thing we cannot do, and I would push this, is make decisions for coaches and teachers. Um, and, and that's the key way of how we use this stuff in practice. For me. Um, yeah, I won't wrap it on anymore. I'll get my soapbox. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's. Um... That's that's really interesting. I I um I'm just trying to think about where I go next. We're talking about sort of like why they use that the practice that they do and this. Um, I appreciate you know I'm asking some um, pretty tough questions in terms of being able to explain something in um, in a way that is is more accessible I think maybe that's one of the issues with skill acquisition is that it appears quite inaccessible subjects um and and um with with maybe a lot of conflict and different ideas so people seem to sort of back off back off it but um it would be really interesting to just explore a little bit about um your understandings of how we become skillful so we we could separate it well maybe with youngsters compared to with more elite athletes danny perhaps i'm i'm happy however um and are there some things that we can think about in terms of how we become skillful that will help us then um make informed decisions even though they would change constantly and there's no absolute during our coaching practice what sort of things sit underneath that decision making? Here we go. Resounding um, silence. Yeah, no, here we go. I'm still, just trying to pick, pick, pick your, your words carefully. Um, so if, if, um, if the concept of perception action, for example, makes sense to you, so if, if, you, um, um, if you take the view that learning is this process of this learner developing these perception action synergies so the ability to take information in and start to adapt and adjust and and present a movement solution back the other way based on what information i'm taking um and those aren't fixed so they're, they're like a synergy they adapt so what i'm trying to do with the players is develop their ability to perceive and act and problem solve in the game so when shapes and people are moving in front of them or the ball flies towards them, they can organize their body and then come up with a solution that's effective. So that helps me understand, well, if I need them to do that in a performance environment, then perhaps my training environment should include some of the, the information or the important information that's in the performance environment. And that leads us to, to sort of start to look at something like representative design and the principle of. So the more representative my practice environment is of the performance environment, then the, the more similar cues are in there, the more information is in there, the more likely I'm developing perception action couplings that will transfer. The problem is this has been taken way too literally. And, and I, would, I would always push coaches to go, right, here's the full game of hockey. 
Like whenever we change anything about it, pitch number, size, shape, we are we are making it less representative. And that's important because you can't just play eleven aside hockey the whole time. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get enough goes at certain bits. So it's all about which parts of the game am I rubbing out to then focus on a certain part or a phase or a particular bit of the game, and then which key bits of information do I want to include in it? You can strip it and dial it right back down if you want. That's absolutely fine. No one's, and I would, there's no good and bad to this. Just understand that that's what you're doing and, and make those decisions accordingly. Um, and I think that's, that's the, one of the key design principles for me that I've taken into performance hockey is how do I replicate the demands of international hockey in training? The closer I can get them, the better for me. Um, so if, if there's a certain team in the world presses in a certain way and has a certain type of defensive system, I will try and set up training to replicate that so that the players can learn to play against it and learn to pick up the information and organize. Then when they're put into that game environment, they've at least got a better chance of picking up and organizing against that type of system. So that that's how I view I guess, learning and perception action and how that makes sense to me and how that informs how I design my practices to help those players once they're put in the game. Will. Uh, thanks for that tag. <laughs> uh, there, there's some important things in that and, you know, um, there, there is a piece there around knowledge that, that is important, I think. So those players will know why rather than just sort of following order or, or whatever so again you're, you're depending on your approach to or your understanding of skill development and what you're trying to achieve um to use danny's example as he strips it right back and and maybe looking at a certain phase or an area of the pitch or whatever your job then in coaching is to help them make links to the other other parts so um as you dial down that representativeness talking to, to players being you know sort of honest and open with them about right so this is dialed down but we're going to have to link this to other parts of it later on so that, that it's not just um, seeing it as a performative skilled behavior but a, a knowledgeable and understood thing that so all right okay I can I can then adapt to other situations that look similar or have got similar cues in them that, that all right I can see that this is going on now and I've got some some solutions to, to the the problem that's that's uh, I'm now sort of given as a, as an athlete. So, and that that has driven a lot of what we've done with youth um, development as well is you know, provide lots of problems and then help them find their way through through, through some of those problems. Um, okay, so we've talked a little bit about um, making the learning environment as representative of our. Of, of basically what the target environment might be, whether that is a perform, whether that's a, you know an elite performance or just an engagement environment. Um, so one of the things that also is interesting in here is thinking about what, how do we become skillful, and and is there a different stages that we would go through in that process? So would you? Structure the environment differently for somebody who's a youngster or a beginner compared to somebody who's more elite. And um, and will I have you talk about youngsters and certainly that skill development in in kids? What does it mean? Because I'm imagining that might look very different from the type of people that Danny might be working with with his elite performers. Yeah. So I'm I sometimes get a little bit nervous when we start to talk about stages of learning because it kind of assumes that there's no regression and and uh in actual fact certainly with children as as their kind of social emotional um stages uh that they go through um come about then skill can can often regress and and uh, develop and accelerate so we've got to be cautious but you know some of the work that Danny and I have done with um Ian Renshaw and Keith Davids and and sort of borrowing from some of Ian's work in terms of stages that might represent uh, that kind of perception action approach that Danny was talking about earlier. We we might think about learning to coordinate, so putting putting bits together, and then um, latterly learning to adapt. You know, which is what Danny was talking about earlier on. Again, where we might kind of support that ability to explore and and exploit the things that that we kind of 
see that presented to us. So to give a kind of concrete example, um, with, with young people in some of the games we've developed for, for one of our projects, that um, we will present them with a number of problems and support them through the coaching process to adapt to those problems with skilled behavior. So different movement solutions, using their body in different ways and, and supporting them to, to explore those um, different movement solutions, I think is key, but not to be fixed to the idea that, and this is you know my point about being cautious as to stages of development, don't be fixed to the idea that they are now skillful because a new context will mean that they are perhaps not, they don't have the skill to solve this new problem or, you know, certainly with children, if they're going through some sort of maturation, um, physiologically or physically, then their skill development might be impacted upon and they might re regress for any number of different reasons, you know, whether it be confidence or the ability to coordinate their limbs as they, they as they've grown. So, we need to be really cautious with that idea of, of stages, but it does, I guess, allow us to attach some of our practice design to to something. Your your point around setting problems will, I think, have the biggest impact on me as a someone who designs practices. You know, my job is to design a problem um, and help then support the learner to solve that problem and form solutions to it. But the biggest thing that, that you really helped me was is understanding that for young people, it's not about competence. It's about developing awareness. Um, so by playing these games and solving these problems, I develop a, an understanding of myself and then how I can solve physical problems. Um, rather than I can throw the ball this far, it's I understand how far I can throw the ball and therefore how I solve this problem. So for us, it was sort of flipping skill or, or to something that's more around awareness that would then might lead to more confidence that might need to lead to more motivation to be physically active which then really changed how we designed the games um so we, we would put the spots out on the hall all different distances away from each other so that they can start to explore how far can i jump which spot's too far which mode which way of jumping can i get from this spot to that spot and they start to learn that that then when they're playing the game, they look like they're moving skillfully, but one person might be jumping over two spots because they can, and one might be jumping on every spot, but that doesn't mean the other person's not as skillful. So developing awareness and an understanding of myself and how I solve a problem is probably at the core of this. And I don't, I know we separate out child development and performance. Uh, the concepts for me transcend. What it looks like in practice is very different. Um, but the principle of setting a problem and helping people solve it, I don't think differs at all. And I would say, like you talk about representative design, Danny going on about, well, I set the opposition up to, in training to look like, people have been doing that for years, I haven't invented it. Um, and that's really important. These are just some concepts that help explain, oh, that's maybe why that's useful. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, so we have to draw it back down to practice as well. Yeah, thank you. I, and, and I think that's the, I think that is so important, actually, Danny, drawing it back down to practice, because it's too easy to end up with something that, um, that the co coaches are like, what does this mean to me? What does this actually look like, feel like for me on the ground when I'm working with, with whoever I'm working with? Um, it's really interesting you're saying that actually the, the difference is, um, are not massive, you know, there's not necessarily this massive difference. And, and I, I think for me, one of the things that's really fascinating was studying motor development and actually recognizing that that made more sense to, to some of the sports that I coached. For example, um, you know, I, I, kids learning to walk where they go from one stable position and then a bit of a shuffle, try not to fall over the Lego to another one. I, I just thought I see that when people are learning to climb because they try and go really stable and the difference between an elite climber and a non-elite climber makes much more sense to me, you know, from this motor development perspective than from the, the research in motor learning that was sitting at a, at a table with a joystick or a, or a button pressing task. So I, it, that was fascinating for me that I thought, well, with the, I'm with the same person. We've just more skillful at, so, you know, or there's less variability in our skill set at a certain point. 
Um, so it'd be quite interesting actually just to um, explore a little bit, um, uh, maybe some more examples from from both of those environments of, um, Dan, you're saying, what, what would something look like in practice? Yeah, and, and the reason I, like, when I was lucky enough to work with Will on a more regular basis, when we worked <laughs> I'm not sure you were lucky. Um, we really started to look at how we designed the modules that we taught and go, right, let's, let's go practice the theory. Let's start with the practice and then try and make sense of it with the theory rather than going, here's a load of theory, now try and ram it into your practice. And I think that's, that, that was kind of a really important step for us. So um, practical example, I've, I've, I spoke to this one earlier, I was doing some, some work with cricket and one of the batsmen had a certain technique that was effective in some situations, but it was causing them problems in others. So we had, we had a problem to solve with, with an athlete. And I'm not, I'm not a cricket expert, um, so I don't proclaim to be, but the principles really, really came to life in this. And they basically used a lot of wrist and hit across the line. And they were very good at it. But it did create problems against certain types of delivery. So the coach said about designing this half an hour session to help address that problem and try and get the learner to play a little bit straighter against a certain type of delivery. So we, we, the coach sort of lined them up and, and got them in front of the stumps and, and started to, to sort of bowl some balls at them and, and was sort of instructing them, I guess, to, to adopt a slightly different technique. And you could see in front of you that, that it was starting to change a little bit and then you could see that they were playing a bit straighter. All great. So then they stepped back and they, they sort of kept on bowling, but they stopped instructing. And actually what happened was the learner drifted back to their previously previous technique and um, the problem was he was being successful so I sort of spoke to the coach and I was a bit like he says yeah but he keep, he's not doing it the right way I said oh but is he, is, he, is he presenting you with a solution that's working he said yes so I said well what's wrong with the solution he said well when someone bowls full and straight he, that won't work so I said well why don't we bowl full and straight at him <laughs> so we, we got someone who could bowl full and straight, and sure enough, the solution that he had didn't work. Here's the create the knee bit. Now we've got this clunky learning thing where we've created the knee, which destabilized the learner, so they have to search and try and find a different solution. So Will's point around asking the right question or setting the right problem, and then once we've set the right problem and it's working, then we can help them form a solution that might be more effective. Um, and, and that, for me, is just a practical example of a problem-setter in coaching that will help shape solutions that a learner may have. Um, I don't know if that helps. Yes, and that, that's, um, I, really, I really like that. It's a, a really lovely example. And like you say, the, the batter then has got, he's found a solution that work, another solution that works for him, if it was a him or her. <laughs> um, they've got ownership of that solution. They are exploring different patterns. So they might go back, you know, to doing other stuff, but hopefully not within the context of the bowls like that, they're going to have a difference. I, I don't know much about cricket, but with most other things, you, you kind of need more than one solution in your repertoire anyway to be really skillful in most things. Um, so... Uh, I, I, there's an interesting point there that I, I think in, in all things, you need more than one solution. Um, the bandwidth as to which that solution changes probably uh, diminishes in certain sports that we, we might have previously thought of as as fairly highly structured and only one solution. Even even that one solution is a slight variation. You know, you, your world um, or one of your previous worlds around uh, canoeing and, and thinking, you know, well, actually, the, the stroke might look very similar, but there will be subtle changes based on the pace of the water, the, the depth of the water that day, the, the way that I've taken a particular turn. So even though it looks similar, it's still slightly um, uh, slightly different. And we have to demonstrate that dexterity in terms of our, our movement patterns to, to solve. And it might look very similar, but it's subtly different enough that we... And, and that's why we want to approach skill development by offering these different different problems you know um that player can't see there's a problem with their skilled solution until you change the question so we can't just tell them oh this won't work when you get against 
ex-bowler. We need to show them that it doesn't work, as per Danny's example. And I think there's something else that I would love to pick up on in uh, Danny's example there. There's clearly a really knowledgeable coach at the heart of that conversation. I, I know that this won't work when the player is faced with... There's a huge amount of knowledge there. And I think we, we sometimes forget that in... In certainly in the academic world where we want to tell coaches, oh, you've got it wrong. Uh, you should do it like this. And it's really problematic for me because there's this coach with a huge amount of knowledge that knows that this movement pattern won't work when provided with another problem. What Danny's talking about is the subtle skill of how to support that, that learner. But we shouldn't forget that there's a huge amount of knowledge that, that we need to pull out from coaches as well to to understand the different problems we might set or the different uh, questions that we need to pose for our athletes or, or our learners. And it kind of takes me back to my, one of my earlier points about the fact that we need to collaborate and see this as we're all kind of in this together. We shouldn't be pulling in, in lots of different directions. So how do, we, how do we support each other to better understand what's going on would, would be something that I would love to, to see start to happen. One of the ways we've found useful to frame these things to coaches lately is start with, well, who's the most skillful player in your sport? Okay, and what what is it about them that makes them the most skillful? You know, are oh, they adaptable? There, you know, they can do it under pressure. They, you know, and and they say, okay, let's start to think about then how do we start to develop those attributes in in, in a player? And that that way, and and when you start to use the word adaptable, you sort of go. Well, if you want someone to develop the ability to be adaptable, you've got to present them with lots of different problems that they, and that's the skill they learn. If you present them with one consistent problem, the answer will be one, a, more, a more consistent solution. So actually, we start to bring in the concept of variability then. Go, oh, okay. But then there's a bandwidth to that, the, the point where it's too variable and they're starting to generate solutions that are no use to them. So... That's the skill of the coach. You've got to understand the sport to understand the bandwidth. You've got to understand the sport to know how to ask the right question. So what we're taking is this huge amount of sport knowledge they've got and just redirecting it subtly for them to then use it in a slightly different way in their practice design. Rather than going, I'm going to give it and instruct this learner how to do this. I'm going to use it to design a problem. And that's, that's so important for to get their, get their heads around. You can't you can understand the principles of practice design, but you can't use them if you don't understand the sport. I don't, I don't think they're any use to you at all. Um, so, so there's, there's sort of a, a, a different types of knowledge is something we'll all talk about that, that we have to then int integrate to, to move forward. Yeah, I, I, um, that, I, that's definitely something that... Um, I've heard people talk about more and more, you know, I think, oh, well, we can just sort of randomly change the practice. It means we don't need to be skillful as a coach. And, and then I think actually, you know, if we, if we move towards um, seeing coaching as much more about um, maybe identifying what it is somebody's trying to work on or develop as opposed to what they're trying to error correct towards, but what is it? What are they trying to develop or what, what movement um, solution are they looking for? You know, movement problem are they trying to solve probably is a better way of framing it I'm trying to be careful with my language <laughs> um, and then build build an environment that allows them to explore that it, it means actually you need to have far more understanding of I think you need to have far more understanding of that particular sport um, and, and what the information is the types of decisions the types of environments and things that might happen rather than just having a look at a you know a picture of a technical template in a book for example you can't do that anymore you do actually need to really understand your sport at that level so somebody teaching children they might be doing something very different to teaching an elite elite sport performance um, I just wanted to pick up a little bit actually um, about talking about bandwidths because again I think even something like dressage for example is incredibly um, precise it's basically good gymnastics you know you get its form and it all has to be perfect but actually e even if you could do a perfect performance which is arguable <laughs> Um, I, what, what is the, um, I would just be nice to explore before we finish that those, 
what happens around when you are perturbed or you make a mistake or you lose balance or something happens that if you haven't practiced a sort of a wider bandwidth than your performance then does that make it more difficult for you to recover if you go off that performance um that tight performance bandwidth does am, am i making sense <laughs> as well as if you grow or you have an injury i'm just you know this idea that there is that we can replicate something i think is um is very idealistic <laughs> i think what you're talking about is variability of, of, of movement so we, we see a consistent outcome from our performance and it kind of leads us down the path but we think that's a product of a consistent movement solution and actually, to the untrained eye, and, and from the outside, it looks similar. But actually, when someone goes up to, let's say, kick a goal kick in rugby, you know, you could pick someone's technique out from the different people because it looks the same. But actually, their foot's never in exactly the same place. It will be a millimetre out or half a millimetre out, which means the next foot then has to micro-adjust. And, and based on my view of the ball and my skill, I adjust my, my without knowing it, and it's tiny, but I adjust my movement pattern as I move towards the ball to, to kick the ball in a, in a clean and, and efficient way. That only comes through practicing that again and again and again and again. Like, so we need the repetition. Um, and we need the variability in the practice within the bandwidth of that. So I would need to practice kicking from out wide, from close, from far away, in the wind, in the rain, on a sunny day, in out, like, all those different ways that mean I have to adapt my kicking solution to to the problem there's a bandwidth which i need to adapt and adjust through and i don't think i think that's understandable recreate the demand of the sport in your practice and and, and come up with the variable solutions um that for me is is important yeah and if it was um if it was possible to perfectly replicate something then we would have flawless performances at all major games or events. And the, the reality is that, that we are not just a, a kind of, we are not just a movement producing organism. We've got fears and anxieties and other things going on. And, and uh, you know, which is why the, the advancement of sports sciences and, and so on is, has been so um welcome but but widespread you know because we need to know what we're putting in the body and how we're sleeping and psychologically how we're prepared and so there's, there's a there's a bunch of things going on that uh, and i also think with skill um development and skill adaptability the the body is going through really nuanced and subtle adaptations to the the ground underneath as i go to kick if you're going to use um danny's example around rugby kicking so yeah we we our approach, and not you know, it's not right or wrong, but our approach is to offer as many problems to support then those movement solutions, so that that you have got that that uh, adaptability and that, that variability. And you see, high class performers are able to put together those those movements in a really um, well controlled way, I guess. Um, we would argue about what that control mechanism is, I guess, depending on, on which theory you kind of use, but they're able to manage the variability in the system more than less skilled performers. I think like this, one of the notions that you sort of, one of the phrases that you say is this like, oh, they'll, they'll self-organize, which um, I think is just more of a description of the fact that someone will start to form patterns and start to form solutions against the problem you've set. Um, you have to carefully and skillfully design the problems. And then you still have to help the learner understand and solve them. Um, Self-organization isn't something that happens in this universe out here and then, and then comes back in. So I think that maybe has been misrepresented and led to a kind of overly hands-off approach to coaching and just sort of going, oh, the game's the teacher, they'll, 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 they'll self-organize. No, we have to shape the learning. We have to help them. It's way more complex than that. Wouldn't it be easy if we could just we we could just do that? Um, and I think that's been part of the, I guess, the way it's been misrepresented. And really, we're, we're all, sort of, all all sort of tiptoeing around the fact that we're, we're 
we see the word world sort of ecologically and, and that 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 the environment is important and that's the thing that shapes um the movement solutions but that doesn't mean i can't speak to my learner about their intentions in the environment i can't use video and, and help them understand the concept of pressing and timing and, and and all of that stuff that's really useful for them so that when they go into the environment and they start perceiving and acting that they can make more sense of it so yeah i, I think we'll end up at pragmatism because that's the easy one to go well if it works let's use it and i think that's probably the safest place to get to um potentially some theory helps us get to the solution quicker and, and problem solve quicker and reflect quicker and, and and work out maybe why something's working or not you know and you present some of these things to the coaches and they go oh that's why that works oh yeah i've always done that or hey, i've always wondered why we why we did that that's interesting you know so but that and that's it's just a framing thing and, and a languaging thing and we shouldn't be too explicit and we shouldn't be too prescriptive we should present some ideas of here's some stuff that might help you make sense of how people develop skill um what, what you know and, and let's try and use it to solve some problems in your world and then and it's messy and complex and none of us know the answers definitively so um let's all keep trying to do the right stuff and keep moving in the right direction keep trying to work it out i'm a hippie really i think <laughs> yeah, I I think um, I think what you said about it being and it, it is that coaching is it, it, it is a messy it's messy and complex, isn't it? And if we try and make it simple, I think that's where 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 it we get unstuck. Um, I, I'm mindful of the time and that um, that you need to go as well, Danny. But I'm just thinking after what you said that, and we, we if we go back to that pragmatist um, sort of idea of well, if it works, then we'll use it, and um, and maybe and this I might be being ambitious trying to sneak this in at the end. How do we know something works? Um, you know, it, if we move away from the well, it looked very pretty at the end of practice because I gave them all the solutions and I told them exactly what to do and how to do it, so it looked lovely. Um, you know, I think most of us who've worked in this area know that that, that isn't representative of good learning. So how do we know it works? <laughs> yeah, and how do you know what had the impact? Like, so we can see more skillful performance, but nailing cause and effect to the wall is pretty, pretty impossible. How do you know which practice helped them do that in a performance environment? I, you know, I think we, we, we all suffer from confirmation bias, which is, Oh, they've got better. That must be a result of the practice I did this week. Look how good I am at coaching. Um, you know, and, and we go, oh, this is, look at me fixing it. And then quickly ignore the following week where they got no better at the thing we practiced in coaching. So in, in training. So yeah, uh, that's a brilliant question and one that someone probably more profound and knowledgeable needs to answer than me. Um, is there a le level of sort of tacit understanding around what we what know works and just through experience and, and but then is all that wrapped up in bias? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm sort of rambling on now. Um, yeah, where's the evidence for the cause and effect and nailing that? Yeah, the, I, I, it's it's really tricky, but I don't want to shirk it. There's there's two. I think there are two questions in in that question. One is around the the very sort of instant idea of uh, skilled behavior and, and movement for that that individual learner and and I guess there's a there's a time thing there but you know seeing the so I'll go back to Danny's cricket example if um, that player begins to, to, to behave and, and choose solutions that are effective and successful then we've seen some seen some development and you know we, we need to sort of explore that I think in in both an academic and a practice environment more. Um, and then uh, uh, there's a second question around what is it that we're measuring? What counts as measurement? Um, I know these are a series of questions, but I guess these are what I would bunch these into is, is more kind of cultural questions around measurement and uh, understanding. And so there is something I think whereby the cause and effect question is, well, I, I coach them on a Tuesday. I did this so they're better, but have I asked the other coaches in the other sports they work with what, what they're doing? Are we collaborating together to, to see some uh, strategic approach to skill development for that learner? So there's, there's a big cultural question, I think for us as coaches to move beyond kind of isolated practice. Like, you know, Danny, Danny's got, um, elite performers and he knows that all they do is is hockey for that country and their club so he's got one conversation with their their club coach maybe but 
in in the world that I'm kind of interested in uh, at the moment, they're probably doing so many different after school clubs. And, and you know, so do I know that our project is the thing that's bringing about better movement solutions? No. Is it part of the picture? Absolutely. Can we start to have other questions, uh, other conversations with other coaches and other practitioners to help us understand the picture of what's going on? We definitely should. And so, you know, it, it is complex. We need to have bigger, more strategic, um, probably uh, national conversations about how we put pro programs around our, our learners and, and what's going on for them. Um, yeah, I, I was just thinking about, um, you know, Danny's brilliant example with the cricketer and thinking that a lot of coaches I talk to hold on to something that, you know, for me, I think, well, I, I know you think it works then, but it, it might not work in all environments, but they hold on to that practice because they perceive it as being effective. It works for them. Um, so I guess that we have, um, you sort of, the, the same that same conversation at that level and like like you say will it's um it is actually very complex isn't it um a few things that that people said to me i'm just thinking about people like sean myersko say you know i i consider what i've done as effective if i see things that we've done in practice then be replicated in some way in the performance environment Whereas beforehand, I'd say we practice this, but it would never, they'd revert again, like like the cricketer that Danny talked about. Um, I, I was just picking that, that up at the end because I think it's very easy on a, if we look at something short term to, 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 to be like that cricketer and say, well, it works, what I'm doing works, why would I need to go and explore something else? Yeah, so you know, you, you take your traditional approach to a, an episode of coaching or teaching, you set out your learning outcomes, you do some progressions, you ask the learners at the end what they've learned, but you've stacked you've stacked the deck in your favour because you've told them what the intended learning outcomes are. So they repeat that to you, and you everyone goes away going, "Oh, awesome! Learning took place." And we have to actually, I think, look at look at skilled and intentional behaviour in in different settings, and to some extent, become more implicit with with what we're doing around skill development. So um, this isn't a test of memory. You know, what did I ask you? What did I tell you you were going to learn an hour ago? This is about a longer journey as to to helping you solve lots of different problems. So th there are some, there are, you know, some cultural and metric driven things that, that also impact on the way that we, we coach and how we interact. So yeah, it's messy. And anyone telling you they've got all the solutions is being a little bit more significantly disingenuous. So, you know, uh, it, it's, I think it's messy, but we've got some ideas from practice and from theory that can help people frame the way they approach their coaching. We've got to keep collaborating with each other to, to challenge each other and better understand what's going on and that and and involve the learner. You know, we haven't massively talked today about asking the learner, is this working for you? Is this practice helpful for you? Um, how can we get you to think about whether or not you do understand what's going on or, or why and how you're reproducing these these particular movements. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's it's really exciting work to do, I think, um, and interesting to, to kind of work with coaches and teachers on those journeys. I mean, what we're really interested in with with the Boeing project is let's like let's try it as a research project. Let's 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 do Boeing and, and see what impact it has, and see how coaches interact with it, how learners interact with it, and what that experience that provides them. Of, of physical activity you know so yeah we don't know the answers but here's an idea it makes sense to us let's test it um and let's learn from it and learn through it um so yeah i think that's a, a nice way to to think about it and, and recognizing there's a ton of stuff we don't know and as long as we're all trying to move the boat in the right direction i think we're in a good space yeah actually that's a really nice i think that's quite a nice place to uh, to wrap up which we'll need to shortly in that um that coaches are learning too. So if we think about what what, what we do in, in um, supporting athletes to become more skillful, then we kind of need to do that ourselves as well and, and set ourselves challenges and activities and, and, and interact and have those discussions and, and embrace a bit of uncertainty in what we do and um, 
realise that we need to, we're we're on a learning journey as well. Oh, massively, and, you know, and and so uh, so are we, you know. So have some humility. We've made uh, loads of errors in the Boeing project. You know, designed some games that just haven't worked. We've we've made some real errors in the way that we've designed uh, environments and set problems. Different um, outcomes have happened as a result. Of, you know, oh, we've designed this game. Danny and I sat there with with colleagues Sean and Ben and others and gone. Well, we've designed this game. This will happen. And something completely different has happened. You're like, uh, right? Why? Why is that? What's gone on there? What What happened with the environment we we designed? So this is my point. I think about collaboration. We we don't know everything. Any of us really. So trying to pick up some pieces from other people that have got some really nice knowledge, which includes your athletes or your learners, and and try and do the best by each other, um, is a good place to start. Cool. And I'm just for people listening, I will link the Boeing project um info to this so that you can if they're wondering what earth you're talking about, uh we'll, we'll definitely link that uh, those activities for youngsters. Shame, shameless plug for a, a free curriculum um of, <laughs> full of games that you can log on and, and play with with um the young people and exploring through play. So yeah, free to Coaches, teachers, anyone who wants to use it. So yeah, we're not selling, we're just promoting. Um, so yeah, jump on Boeing and see what you think. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, yes, and I will put the link in. Thank you so much, both of you. It's been an absolute pleasure and, and the time has just whizzed by. Um, I, I I think, um, I will give you a little bit to wrap up, but uh, I think sort of from that last bit of conversation, the key bit there is that to recognize that we don't have all the answers, none of us do. We're all learning, we're all different. Um, being adaptable is is key. And to do that, we kind of need um, to experience a lot of difference or, or have a lot of different experiences within, within different bandwidths, depending on the context and the sport. Um, and, and essentially, probably one of the best things a coach can do is to find some kind of social learning space or community practice to be part of um, to support their learning. Um. No, I mean, you know, huge thanks for, for letting us uh, ramble on a little bit. And, and like you said, you know, it's not from a position of having the answers. It's from a position of trying to work some of this stuff out for ourselves and, and um, collaborate, lucky to collaborate with some really great people that have influenced our thinking and uh you know we're just trying these some of these things out so you know thanks for letting us talk through some of them join us at ukcoaching.org whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you